Let's talk about the Chiefs. Oh, the Chiefs. Chief is funny, right? There's there's right. Chief. Well, what's the, what's the, the worst Chief? Chief experience officer. That maybe. is brutal. And you know that's why? A rough that's, one. You know oh why no, no, Chief culture officer. That's terrible. But at least it's CCO. Chief experience officer is CEO. Yeah. So you have to be CXBO, or you have to say, "I'm CEO, but I'm the chief experience officer." Right. You never want to be in a situation in which you have to introduce yourself. Another one I love or hate, I don't know which, is Chief Revenue Officer. Yeah. Which is like, oh, wow, this is the only person who's thinking about money in the whole company. That's great. That's real. That's, That's really real thing. good. Now, it, there's there's the other ones, too. There's the new ones. There's Chief Product Officer. New-ish. And uh, Chief, Chief Chief Technical Technology Officer. Or technical is a little officer. more classic. You can also be CIO for Chief Information Officer. Yeah. And then there's the Chief Digital Officer. And there is the chief marketing officer. That's right. The CDO and the CMO. Yeah. And if you lay all these down visually, it's a grotesque Venn diagram. They overlap a lot. They do. And it causes a lot of confusion. And that confusion actually trickles down to many, many places. And that's the science of management. We're done here today. Have a good week, everyone. No. Not too long ago, someone came into our orbit who we are very fond of, and that is Perry Hewitt. Hello, Perry. Hey, Paul. Hey, Rich. Hello. And Perry has, among many things, been a chief digital officer. Yep. Where were you a chief digital officer? So back in the dark days of 2009 to 2016, I was the chief digital officer at Harvard University, which is a small, you know, liberal arts college, liberal arts college based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it's known also for being a really relaxed place where people appreciate change. Yeah, no, no big deal. Yeah. Oh. You know, as you're, as you're coming up on your fourth centennial, people are, you know, people are all relaxed about that. It's true. Postlight will be 400 years old one day. <laughs> I wonder what we'll be doing. Okay, so you walk in and you're chief digital officer of Harvard. What the hell do you do all day? I think you try to solve important problems related to adaptation to digital in this big and crazy organization. So the greatest privilege was, right, that you have all these amazing faculty and students and doing this incredible work. And when I arrived in 2009, it was not being shared in the way that it might have been to reach the greatest possible audience. And indeed, there was some disdain slash fear about what it would mean to share that. Sure. So, you know, when I arrived, for example, there was a print publication called the Harvard Gazette that was put into HTML manually. But because there weren't enough people, enough, not enough time, they would just sort of scrape it from the print version mm -hmm. and put up, you know, whatever stories the web developer felt like adding. So our first project, because as you guys know, it's really important to make the first small manageable promise and meet it, was to turn that into a you know CMS-backed platform. And we picked, much to IT's delight at the time, we picked WordPress. Oh, look at that. What year are we? 2009. Oh, those were dark okay. days for WordPress. Exactly. And I was told this is blogging software. You Don't know, do this. you know, Don't this do is this. insane. <laughs> Who is this? Woman? You know, there's this a whole is... Microsoft suite you could be leveraging here. Mm. What what are you doing? And, you know, one of my pet peeves around any kind of CMS install is that people always under attend to the admin interface, which I think is like the most important piece of software you develop is the piece of software where people enter the content. So that was a hard, big investment. It's a hard time. sell. It's very yeah. nice if a CDO cares about the admin interface. Yeah. Because we end up in that position a lot. We have to advocate for good admin and good tools because. And they're not coming in thinking, they're thinking about impact. They're yeah. not thinking about 
maintenance and administration, right? They're thinking about all the beautiful stuff and, and you kind of have to walk them back. It's like, well, uh, do you need various levels of rights? Right. <laughs> it's not the sexiest question to People ask. Build for, they want to build for launch. Like launch is so exciting. Yeah. You're going to have that new thing. It's going to yeah. look good. And then you'll figure it out after, except that doesn't actually work. You have to just assume that it will all be terrible on day two as well. So I think a CDO or any kind of senior digital role, what you have to think about is how are we going to measure the ongoing health of all these digital properties? And it's not by the launch. Digitally, Harvard must have four or five billion separate web properties. Yeah, I think okay. that's conservative. <laughs> so that that <laughs> fall that did that fall under your mandate? Like, what did they? What, what no, the hell the, on day one is that? I mean, no, they're way smarter people working in all corners of the university to do really interesting and important work. I mean, first of all, you have the A plus researchers. You had Berkman yeah. Center, of course, back in the day, and now you've got this new AI thing out of the Shorenstein Center. So you have tremendous people thinking and doing wonderful things digitally. This was more sort of herding cats, thinking about the main properties, and actually getting the org institution to embrace social media in some meaningful way. Right. So yeah, You don't want to be in the position of telling faculty to do things. Right, right. Yeah, so yes. avoid that at all costs. I married into that, so I, oh, understood, you, I understood the pitfalls very well. Are you married well. faculty? Exactly. Yeah, they don't do, faculty doesn't take orders. Yeah, so yeah. I once made the mistake of telling my husband, you know, asking him, what, what are your deliverables this summer? And he said... My mind is my deliverable. Whoa. So I knew what I was up against. And I think actually, all joking aside, it was a huge advantage because yeah. I did understand sort of how faculty thought about things. And I had come from Crimson Hexagon, which was founded by Gary King, who's a major political science who runs the Institute for Quantitative Social Science. So he was another wonderful linchpin in starting my work there. Um, and his team had built sort of a standard web platform that was used by a lot of the faculty and departmental websites. So it was a good collaboration there. All right. Day zero, you come in, right? You've got a lot of organizational change. You know what a giant college is like or any, any of the roles that you take because you've taken other roles since. How do you get started knowing that your very presence is going to annoy a lot of people? I think there's a lot of work to be done around listening and building credibility. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, I embarked on that project, which had the you know effect. The goal was to elevate the important research of faculty and students around the university and tell that story in a more compelling way that could be measured very quantitatively. To so make them look good. Exactly. I'm here to make you look good. So I, I want to have coffee with the person who's going to do that. Mm -hmm. And also really understand, I mean, not, you know, years of hearing my husband sort of complain about administrators did give me a competitive advantage. So you go to meet with a faculty member, you know what, do them the courtesy of having read one chapter of their last book. Mm -hmm. Ask one smart question. I'm not going to get real far in the quantum physics, but no, it's okay. there's a place you can start. And it's by respecting the body of work. I'm right. pretty and excited about your opinions on Argentina. Now let's yeah. talk about the website. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. You either come in with a mandate. I am here to do this. I have been brought in because I am a specialist or I'm a, I have the resume to do this thing. And, and then there's, I'm the new chief digital officer and I want to get to know all of you. And I'm not sure what the mandate is. I'm going to make one. I'm, you know, some, a, a set of priorities will surface out of it. Where, where were you at in that spectrum, right? You've been brought in. Um, is it because there's paranoia now? It's like, man, we're behind. Like, so what's the one context? of the drivers was yeah. that the Alumni Association had done a survey and some of our alumni were perceiving us as laggards, unsurprisingly, in the digital sphere. Okay. And, you know, people okay. care a lot about alumni engagement and connection. Uh -huh. And in a couple of years later, we knew we were going to do a large capital campaign. 
Okay. So that's another big driver. So I was lucky to be able to work on both the public affairs and administration end and on the, you know, alumni relations end. Oh, right, okay. Because you have to make channels to raise more money. I yeah. Mean, this, is, this is a big deal. That you're to engage alumni, here. Paul. To engage alumni. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Through a variety of means. No, but this is, you've got this big capital mm-hmm. campaign sh- coming up. And it's like, why would you shut down avenues of communication if the alumni are asking? And how do you meet alumni expectations? You know, and, you know, believe me, you're going to get a lot of sort of tough asks from alumni around, you know, why can't you sort of real time tweet this kind of information to me? You know, there are a lot of bespoke asks you're going to hear, but they absolutely were an important and valued driver of Mm -hmm. meaningful digital change. Yeah, there's a lot of brand loyalty at, at Harvard. And, you know, some terrific alumni who are prepared to give time and talent through committees to say, oh, you know, Perry, you're thinking about this the wrong way, or here are three technologists I want to introduce you to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a tremendous leg up. Sure, of course. All right. Take us into, okay, I understand the landscape. I understand needs. What surfaces then? The two things that were, you know, figuring out what the big seminal projects were and how to time sequence them mm-hmm. and also how to build the community and generally increase digital literacy, you know, by convening the smart people, not by being mm-hmm. the origin of all that knowledge, mm-hmm. but by saying, oh, my gosh, you would not believe how well the Kennedy School is handling X or mm-hmm. the business school really has a lead on Y and trying to find ways to connect and convene those people doing good work. So how do you how do you make sure that you're building a bank of knowledge and a community of people who are working together on this? It's interesting, right? Because a college at that scale is just a giant disparate community mm-hmm. where all these different pieces are moving in their own direction and they're supposed to be. And so it's sort of wild to hear, you know, we're gonna have this one sort of unified anything. It just strikes me as really, really challenging. Right. I mean, you over-centralize at your peril at a place like that. You absolutely do not want to think. I mean, part of the the strength comes from the ideas coming out of the law school, Mm -hmm. cross-pollinating with the ideas from the Kennedy School, cross-pollinating with the ideas in the med school. Where you can drive collaboration without, you know, too much consensus is where the best ideas come from. So my role was really about thinking about how do you collaborate in the digital sphere? Because in reality, people don't understand the difference among the different Harvards, nor should they, right? So how do you bring those people together in a meaningful way? You know, it's interesting is you can really only centralize services like email and protocols and ways that people communicate. Most things just, but in the, at that scale, centralization is just going to get in your way over and over again. Right. So you look at all the different models they put out there, like the hub and spoke model or the center of excellence model. And you sort of have to, if you're, you know, running digital and big organization, you have to sort of think about what, what model works best for you and be prepared to blur around the edges, right? right. You know, there's always going to be, you know, situations that don't perfectly match your model. But the goal is overall advancement. So, Rich, when you say Project Alpha, a lot is about measurement. How mm-hmm. do we all agree we're making progress, yeah. right? You know, remember the days of hits, how idiots track success, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we think about what are the what are the metrics that really matter for a research university? Right. What metrics do matter for a research university? Oh. Uh, well, are you going to take know. that exit off the highway? I, I want to know. <laughs> okay. I love metrics. I would say reach and impact of the research, okay. which, you know, is primarily about the quality and somewhat about the brand, which is certainly there. But also um, a, good a digital platform. Exactly, a good working platform. Exactly, a good working platform. Yeah, where you can get to it. And I would also say about attracting students and faculty. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I joke, you know, my biggest accomplishment in technology at Harvard was not necessarily the platforms I chose, the people I hired, or the solutions I implemented. It was eliminating two words from the start of every website since 1636. Right. Right. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you get the language and the messaging aligned with the things that will attract people. And of course, tradition and history is hugely important at Harvard and is not to be poo-pooed. However, as a leading value proposition to a 17-year-old, hmm, got to think about that. 
I'm hearing different things here. I'm hearing execution, mm-hmm. like getting to the thing so it's a better thing or on launching a thing that's better. I'm hearing messaging and marketing and signaling. I'm also hearing consensus building. That sounds like a lot. And educating. Right. And, and bringing in great speakers so that everyone can sort of listen to them and react right. to them and think about it. Yeah. That's a lot. You know, most of our clients are in business and usually it's top down and usually it's it's sort of mandate. It will happen, you know, get in line uh, is, is typically how it goes. But does that work anywhere? Well, nothing works, right? Right, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's all messy and hopelessly <laughs> yeah. broken and we're just muddling through. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, we're going to centralize everything on the one platform. And then five years later, they say, yeah. we need to centralize everything on the one platform. Right. And that's Postlight's business model. <laughs> cleaning up the mess after that. Humans are messy. <laughs> Hey, Rich, let's just do this ad right now, real fast. Oh, yes. Postlight, we do platforms and then we build products on top of them. What's a platform? And if you care about security, by the way, we're on top of that too. We do. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sort of built in. You got to be serious. Yes. Uh, a, what, I mean, a platform, we're talking about APIs. We're talking about big things that... Act now. Yeah. <laughs> Computers. Um, anyway, this is the ad part of the podcast. <laughs> and Postlight is a services company. You call us and you say, I need to solve this big complicated technology Sprawling, problem. yes. And uh, you send an email to hello at postlight.com and you're like, poof, I enjoy your podcast, and um, but if you actually do real work, I'd like to talk to you. And boy, do we. <laughs> we are, people get confused. They're like, it's a good podcast. I don't, what, do they have a business? Yeah. We have people who listen to this podcast who know people who work here and can't quite figure out. They're like, yeah, do you listen to this podcast? And the people who work here are like, I work there. <laughs> I've heard about this. And and we're like, and they're like, no, I know, but do you, yeah, but nobody really works there. Yeah. No, no. There are 50 people here making software all day long. and Designing, really, building, architecting. They're really good at it. And they're, they're, they're great just, at it. They're sweet and they're serious and they'll tell you no when you need to hear no, but they'll mostly, we just try to get you what you need to build your business and your big NGO or your finance enterprise thing media company all the things that we do so get in touch hello at postlight.com yes actually let's let's back out just a little bit because let's okay so chief technology officer is usually in charge of kind of all of the infrastructure Mm -hmm. chief digital what do you do I think everybody rolls their own, right? That's the tricky part about, mm-hmm. you know, I went I to a couple of cheap right. digital conferences and some people were very, very focused on the provost office and academic advancement. And I had some involvement with Harvard X, but it was certainly not my invention or baby or primary responsibility. That's kind of extension Exactly. Yeah. That's the online, you know, learning mm-hmm. component through edX, which was founded with MIT in 2012, I believe. Got it. But for me, it was much more about writing the ship in terms of front-end user experiences, customer experience lens CDO, I would say. Right. And thinking about what are the systems. And it was a lot about, you know, boring old measurement. You mm-hmm. know, I'm a big fan of analytics and measurement. And a lot was about that, about how do we how do we decide what success looks like? Mm-hmm. And how do we build a culture of stakeholder engagement and management such that success isn't, you know, person X like the homepage. Yeah. You know, it's much more... Di- I always said... You know, data informed, not data driven, because if you did everything data driven, you would only run stories about why Facebook and coffee, you know, would cause great heart health in your 50s. And we get 100,000 <laughs> clicks in the first 10 minutes. 
But then those clicks go away. Exactly. So when you're talking and I'm, I'm listening to you here, it's, it's marketing. Yeah. You're, you're talking about, I'm going to measure and I'm going to improve and I'm going to figure out how to get this message out and get this message out until people hear it and are able to act on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So these are the, this is the world. The world is both the sort of big digital platform world, but also this kind of like, we're going to measure and improve and connect. I have a new acronym for you guys. What's that? CDMO. Oh, I know. Marketing officer. Strong. I know. Strong. It's a lot of letters. So in your head, that role, which is, hey, there is a gap in this very large institution or community or whatever between where we need to be to engage with the giant world known as digital, the internet, mm-hmm. com- you know, just the, the larger community aspects of technology. We've got this big gap. We need to close it. That's the job. The job is both sort of understanding and implementing and building out these systems, but also just the sort of marketing style measurement and interaction. Mm-hmm. Is that the same job? And, and l- let me ask that question and pause it for a second and rewind back when, you know, when Excel 7 looked like it was going to come out of beta and they were going to start to print all those disks, then marketing kicks in and thinks about the box. That's right. And thinks about the kiosks and thinks about, you know, marketing across television and magazines and all that. It was an arm, right? Like mm-hmm. the software's firming up. You hire it's about to go up. And you hire agencies. And there was a handoff. It was like it was a, a relay off. race. Exactly. You know, like product is in the lane, hands it right off. Marketing grabs the baton and moves on. That's right. right. Exactly. Marketing comes in like once a month during the yes. development cycle. We and right. then there's that one moment where it's now it's theirs. That's right. right. Yeah. We've heard this story that, you know, works, Microsoft works, which was word light. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They cut features, which from a software perspective, very easy to do to just pare down capabilities and charge a hundred dollars instead of three hundred dollars. So if you wanted office, you paid three, four, five hundred dollars and you paid a hundred bucks for works. That to me is a pure marketing product. Sure. They called it works. The pen was like a calligraphy pen, which means it's in your den. Well, and also and to get those boxes out into the world is like a dollar fifty a box. Dollar fifty a box. Inside. And then the, the marketing strategy, which is small businesses, people just taking care of, who like to write letters to their friends. It was not enterprise, right? And that was billions. That turned out to be billions. Mm -hmm. And that is not software. That's just the marketing department taking it and running, right? When there was that clean cutoff, right? I was at Lotus in the late 90s and that's what it was like. The product managers roamed the earth and, you know, came up with these products and delivered them. And one day there were a marketing problem to solve. So tell us about that a little bit. So it was just a much more clear division of responsibilities and a division of hierarchy, which is interesting to me too. You know, marketing, you know, product management was largely male. Marketing Mm -hmm. was largely female. Mm -hmm. And it was seen as sort of the frou-frou add-on at the end. Once the geniuses have finished crafting their work, Mm -hmm. you and marketing may now take this and spirit it out into the world. Tell Mm -hmm. your little stories, Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, that a lot of feel of that. But I think, you know, this just got broken in the 2000s and 2010s, right? Because... Marketing creeps closer and closer into the product, you know. I don't know that we have, for many software packages, the enterprise sales force we once had or even the same, you know, need to do these large-scale marketing campaigns because once you have the product, the freemium product in people's hands or, you know, the the usage through, you know, network effects or viral marketing, you know, you don't have that clean handoff. And hence the CDMO bringing it together in one glorious moment of genius one hopes 
What's a horrible problem that you would love to solve in the world? Oof. Ooh, that's a tricky one. There's so many good problems. I mean, we to can solve. leave aside sort of the I'd like world peace and I'd like yeah. to fix hunger, like obviously, sure. But given their, your particular skill set, when you see something and you're like, oh, just get, let me at it. I think it's the, the tyranny of crappy marketing automation. Oh, it's so bad. I would love Let's to ex- solve. Let's explain yeah. to the people what this is. Right. So these are the systems that, you know, when you you know fill out a form for a webinar or buy a product one time, you get delivered into a marketing automation suite. Mm-hmm. And it's generally pretty good software tools. You know, there's so Marketo say, and Pardot and, you know. I buy something at Best Buy. Exactly. Online. Okay. I buy, a, I buy a USB hub. Right. Okay, cool. I got my USB hub. But the story has only just begun. Right. So now these systems are, are have my data mm-hmm. and they know I like USB hubs. And I guess they also can go out and find out all kinds of things about me. Right. What makes them so crappy? I think that the metrics are all wrong. I'll go back to my sort of crush on, you know, good measurement practices because the metrics then become about how many messages went out and how many times this customer has been hit or touched, which are two verbs I think should be struck from the lexicon. <laughs> so... I think you know we, we measure sometimes the very wrong things. We, of course, people measure outcomes. You know how many of those people actually converted. And the bottom line is, like direct mail, people would not do it unless it worked. Well, but they operate in that vacuum. You don't know if anybody's happy or sad. And you could, you could do way more to understand right. how people were receiving your message and what they were doing to, pay, you know, when you when they got your opened your email. And yeah, nobody bothers. They're just like, can I get that click, please? Right. Can I get the click? Can I get the the conversion? And I think it's it's not getting smarter as fast as it needs to. I didn't see a lot of innovation in the space, despite all the app exchanges in 2017 or 2018. So maybe AI, you know, like buzzword du jour, but perhaps that is one of the things that will get these systems to be smarter over time, mm-hmm. which is just to say, you know, like she clicked on it the first time, but it doesn't mean she wants it every gosh darn day. They never want to do the work in the relationship. They want you to do all the work. Yeah, have you found this with surveys? This is like, yeah. I was on a webinar yesterday talking about the most hated things of 2018. Yeah. For me, it's surveys. You answer one survey question and your punishment mm-hmm. for answering that question is 10 more questions. That's right. Well, I think I think part of this is that, you know, success, 2% hit, even 1% hit at this volume is success. And so we complain, like if it was really truly universally annoying, they would move away. Right. right. But if there was no success like direct mail. If there's no success, exactly. It's mm-hmm. just a dead end, right? You know, I've started unsubscribing to every newsletter, though. I gave up. I mean, me too. But, you know, I mean, this is going to sound just utterly arrogant, but a lot of people don't. My mom has add-ons to her browser. You can't see the the web window anymore. She right, loves just them. lower and lower and lower. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. She has a cap, like she has a Capital One account, and she has a Capital One browser add-on. It's just at the top of the bar. And it, I don't even know what it does. I refuse to click on it. And and she loves it. She loves all of them. And she said, don't remove any of them. I, they're just so great. And sometimes there's one that's just like shopping buddy. And if you click on it, it just shows you like five crap products that are on sale for that moment. It's like Woot, but for my mom. Yeah. And she loves them all. And so I think, you know, we're smart unsubscribe and you we you know we put proper filtering on stuff and like we're we're kind of and not to say my mom is an extremely intelligent person but i think many people just don't do it i think also they just see they're more comfortable with everything kind of being a feed of noise and that's what the internet is to them so i don't think people mind i think i think the whole i mean tell us what you think about digital and marketing and the consumer 
and how like well, half de- decrapify it for us. Right. People just yeah. want it to be better. Right. I don't mind it if it's good. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it if it understands me. But like, how is it 2019 and we haven't fixed retargeting? Right. So, you know, you go on to uh, the Brooks Brothers website and you look at a blue blazer to buy your son for the holidays Mm -hmm. and you may or may not purchase that blazer. You may decide to get one from Old Navy. You may decide not to buy one. But for the next three months, the Internet is only going to show you blue blazers wherever you are. It's wild, too, and it's Amazon and they know you bought it. Right. But they're just like, no, you you need another DVD player. Exactly. So I think when people feel like it's really off brand or a bad experience or excessive, or confusing, right? How do I get out of this? How do I move this? And I think increasingly with the sort of the the revenge of the physical, you know, with Amazon launching bookstores and all these physical experiences coming back, there's going to be more messy middles for people to sort out. Mm. Like, you know, who owns the experience if I walk into, you know, the Amazon store or, you know, the Museum of Ice Cream or mm. how, do, how does the physical and digital mm. interact? Is... And I think I, I feel a theme surfacing here, which is what marketing is doing to digital, right? We, we've talked about it in terms of organizations and roles and whatnot. But is marketing, I mean, digital, there's a, I have a romantic view of it as this pure thing when done right and makes people, empowers people and the like. And marketing slamming into it that it's somehow. Sully's. Sully's. Sully's, thank you. I mean, I think what's real is that at any scale, any serious scale, the two are going to match up. Is that right? Look at your Microsoft works running around in that. Like, you just, if you really want to... It's inevitable, is what you're saying? I mean, you're connected to this world. You love the beautiful digital things, but growth is the only comes when you're telling the story out in the world in a way that people like. And frankly, education. We've alluded to that a couple times today, Mm -hmm. like this idea of, you know, some people know what retargeting is, some people don't. I think especially in B2B, with technology moving so quickly, there's a responsibility to educate your consumers. And Mm -hmm. not a lot of big B2B or B2C companies have you know, separate educational arms. A lot of that falls under marketing. Why educate? I mean, it's Because marketing. you want your consumers to buy and to engage no. with the product and use the product once they bought it, but right? But don't you just want but them to buy? You want to be happy if they just buy and they're not happy. That's the worst outcome ever, right? But they, you want, well, you want them to buy and to use and to maybe use another product? For every 20 New York Times articles talking about privacy and how the your data is being shuffled around and sold, there's one that tells you, how to get away from it, like the how-to article. I don't think, even with all this kind of craziness, and frankly, it's gone to the point of paranoia when you think about, oh my God, my data's in China and the like, um, nobody's giving out, nobody knows how to do it. Nobody knows how to stop it. I don't think anyone, like we can do it. And even for us, it's you have to kind of dig around a little bit because we're savvy. But for most people, they have no idea. They have no idea how to like remove themselves from that sort of state they have zero up and i don't think there's any incentive or interest to do it because that's marketing i think it's marketing if you give if you act on the data in the right way if you misuse the data or you get the data stolen god forbid you know that's not marketing fair but fair i do think that's that's the challenge right i guess i'm looking and data portability right i mean that's a whole other session but how do we think about people's owning their own data and be able to pull it in and pull it out but it's interesting what data allows you to do right you know Mm -hmm. people will complain their heads off when their logins go away right you know we we were all home at thanksgiving right we all did tech support for our families right yep so you know that idea that you know once you lose you know you you don't have those cookies and that data is not there like how, how do i log into the new york times again and 
Right. That all comes back. We better and smarter with all this shit. Who knows, man? I know. <laughs> Who knows? Perry's more is less cynical. Like coming from technology and digital, I'm just much more cynical and suspicious of just marketing know, agenda and because I think about those ads like from the early 1900s in newspapers where it's like if you drink this elixir it's you'll tonic. have more babies yeah or something I just all of that and, and you, you just drink that tonic for years and nothing happened right or you know smoking is minty yeah. There was a period of time when smoking more was More doctors like Lucky Strike. It's refreshing, yeah. And now technology brought us jewels, so there you go. Yeah, yeah. So I, I always think it's, I mean, it's marketing. <laughs> You're going to sell shit. That's just how it goes. But well, you got to be friends with product and marketing. You cannot be this adversarial 90s mm, mixed mm. hierarchy relationship. It has to be a blend. And that's what I think is really important to remember, particularly with SaaS products, right? A lot of the marketing experience is not sending some dumb email or flyer, although mm -hmm. we send plenty of those and sometimes mm -hmm. they work or events, but it's within the product itself. Yeah. So how do you make peace with the product people and, mm -hmm. you know, offer things that are meaningful extensions? Yeah. You know, not, you know, What's, just marketing You're making fluff. a great point because there is a trend right now around sort of the deep relationship kind of experience where... And you see this in like the, you know, the Warby Parkers, the Casper mattresses, the birch box where you actually don't even know what you're getting. Do you know about this birch box thing? Sure. I bought a pair of jeans from a company called Mott and & Bow. And one of the options they have when you pick your size is like pick another size and we'll set up the box so you can send up, send the, send the size that didn't work out back. And it's all taken care of. And mm -hmm. that's just more relationship driven. And I think this is to your point. You have to take it beyond the blue blazer chasing you around the internet, right? Right. Is the future here now, 2018, as we go further and further and further, maybe this will be 2019 when it airs, that marketing is going to be telling product what to do? I think it's got to be a collaboration. Okay. I don't think there is an area in which I think mar smart marketing is engaged deeply with the customer such that they know things on a quantifiable level that can be shared back with product. But product, of course, is building its own relationship with the customer through design thinking or whatever processes they're using in their product build. So I think better collaboration around that knowledge is key. I mean, who the hell knows? Maybe we'll have CMPO. Ooh, that's an acronym for you. Everybody, so everybody needs to chill out, get in the room, and realize that product work is also marketing work. Yeah. I mean, people have a lot of anxiety about the grubby paws of marketing. Right. Exactly. Getting exactly. on these pristine products. Uh, to, That's right. To go back to Harvard. I had a lot to do with sort of launching the social media accounts, hiring a bunch of smart people who really took it to the next level to really attract, engage, convert, you know, large and broad audiences. And, you know, faculty, many were appropriately disdainful of, you know, reducing academic disciplines to a, a tweet. You know, there were some concern about that. But then I'd get these 6 p.m. calls at my desk that were like, Psst. Um, you know, I wonder if we can meet off campus, like I'll buy a lunch. Like I got a book coming out, Yeah, you know, so there was a gotta moment at which, do. you know, uh, faculty realizing the amount of marketing, the public, you know, the publishing company was willing to put behind oh, the book sure. was like, I, I got to get my hands on your grubby paws may be useful to no, me. My three volumes on the evils of capitalism. Exactly. I need, I need someone to help me market. Yeah, it. that's right. Honestly, can you, you, can had you boost a steeper that for hill. me? Yeah. You had a steeper hill than just commercial interest, right? That usually drives things. I mean, you had a very particular worldview about academia and mm -hmm. just 
integrity of it and 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 the like versus commercial where it's, well, it's like, sort of you can do it through the lens of sort of sharing knowledge right you right. want your knowledge to reach the broadest possible sure. audience you sure. know it's not always not everyone's going to read the peer-reviewed journal article right we hope many many people do but right. not everyone will so are there ways you can not only share knowledge but it reinforce locations as hubs or access to knowledge i mean that was true as well of jstor and ithaca and you know, other places I've worked that are really focused on, you know, connecting and educating and bringing culture to a wide range of people. You know, digital is part of that strategy. Marketing. It doesn't have to be evil. <laughs> One sentence piece of advice for a chief digital officer. Build consensus, scope appropriately, deliver early. One sentence piece of advice for the chief marketing officer. Respect the product. Ah, see what you did the judo thing yeah, there. Yeah, it's nice. Beautiful. There. That's really good. Perry, this was awesome. You guys are the best. Th- thank, thank you so much, much for, for doing me. this.